Stan introduced the topic that was Sunday before, but we started to, started to try to unpack. So here's a bit of what we talked about last night. Do you re- last time, do you remember that we talked about moralism versus the gospel? How we can take issues and turn those issues into a letter of the law approach, or we can turn them into a spirit of the law approach. And I gave you a, a, a glimpse of sort of my heart for the series, which is not, oh my word, you better forgive or God's going to smack you, but rather there's an open door. There's a good God who's in a good mood, who is love, and he's inviting us, when he commands us to forgive, he's inviting us to let go of the hurts we're carrying. There's freedom available. There's joy available. There's peace available. We don't have to carry this stuff anymore. That's the spirit or the tone of the New Testament's teaching on forgiveness. So he's not going, I, so help me if you don't forgive, I'm going to punch you right in the head, you little turd. That's not the heart of it. But sometimes the way we use Bible verses with people, that's how they end up experiencing it. And they go, okay, I'm... Because when we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about wounds. And when we're dealing with people's wounds, to deal with them in a rough manner is like being a mean dentist. And nobody wants to go to a mean dentist. Some of us have bad teeth because we don't go to the dentist because we're too scared because we got hurt. Am I wrong? Okay. We read Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant who was forgiven an unpayable debt. That's us. That's the gospel who then turned around and refused to forgive his brother, a significantly smaller debt. And Jesus essentially said, if, that, if, if we do that, then we get handed over to the jailers. You remember the jailers from last time? The jailers we talked about as being the torment we experience when we don't forgive. And it happens in this life. Some of it's physical, some of it's emotional, some of it's relational. But there's a heck of a lot of bitterness and torment and shame and guilt and resentment and anger and stress that we carry when we don't forgive. We talked about the four doors of demonic access. So sort of anytime you get somebody free of demonic oppression, you want to find out how did this thing get in here? And we usually check four doors that are very consistent ways. And we saw the last time the four doors were fear, resentment, lust, and the occult. We also talked about the cross and how we often view Jesus as dying for the sins we committed so we can be completely forgiven and relate to God as though we've never sinned. But we miss the other half, which is that the cross is also dealing with sins committed against us. So, and, and then I gave you the Dan Muller quote, surely if the gospel, if the cross can make it as if we've never sinned, it can make it as if we've never been sinned against. Which, which, which emphasizes the healing of the cross, not just the, the sort of the, the release of being punished, but the healing of the cross. And then I mentioned my salt gun, in passing, and Bunny said, I need one for Ken. So let me show you this. Let's pretend John's a fly. I'm the guinea pig. I'm the guinea pig. What was that? What is it? Do you want me to do it on your skin? Yeah, here. Okay. Is that better? Is that better? What was that? He's still, he's still <laughs> <laughs> what was that? 
Like I said last time, that one, that, that injures the flies and they go, oh no, I'm going to die. And then they can't fly anymore. But they have one that has CO2 cartridges that will explode the flies. There will be nothing left. And Carolyn Biggs said, I hope when you're done, you clean up all the salt and dead fly remains that are all over the house. So we do a lot of salt removal from the bed. Because, you know, you got a bedside lamp. They get come to the lamp, and I go, I, how dare you? And I'm sitting in bed shooting flies, and the salt bounces off the wall and into my bed. This is relevant to the sermon somehow. You're going to have to figure it out how, though. I don't know how. I don't know. It came up last time, so we, I said, okay, I'll bring the salt gun, since you seemed really interested in it. And then uh, we ended with talking about repentance and forgiveness as the relationship glue that Jesus in a kind of offhanded way summarizes the whole gospel message when he says in Luke 24, and this message of forgiveness and repentance will be preached to, the, to all the nations. And how without repentance and forgiveness, I don't care what relationship we're talking about, repentance meaning me owning my part, and forgiveness meaning me having mercy for your part, Every relationship that isn't rooted in mercy will eventually drive a wedge and there will be a no man's land where there's deadness and coldness and we turn our love off and we get further and further apart until now you can't do anything right. Because the less love you have for someone, the less mercy you have for someone. Amen. Have you noticed that? Yes. When, when I can tell that, that Carrie's holding something against me, I can tell before she can tell. She'll say, I'll say, are you mad at me? And she'll say, no, but she won't make eye contact. And then I try to touch her, and then it's like, mm. and I go, something. And then, I, and then she starts to search, maybe I am upset, so she'll start to search her memory banks. Oh, you spoke in a rough way to that child earlier today. And I'm like, okay, see, I know stuff. Imagine 70 years of little things like that that are stored up. That, that you, would not, you wouldn't make it. You would not make it. I did talk to an older married gentleman, and I, this was years and years ago, and I said, this is what's going on between Carrie and I. We're having these conflicts. We can't seem to see eye to eye. I don't get it. When I try to communicate, it makes it worse. And then she says what she says, and then I get hurt, and so we're both mad and hurt. And, ugh. And he says, uh, I won't copy his voice so you'll know who it is. It's more fun to copy his voice, though. He says, well, you're healthier than my wife and I. I said, what do you mean? Y'all are like 100 million years old. What are you talking about? You've been at this. Surely you're a pro by now. He goes, well, my approach is when she's mad, I just go away for a couple of days and don't talk to her. And then when she stops being scary, then I start relating to her again. So probably your way of actually trying to figure it out is better. I was like, whoa. So he was a skilled word worker. Spent a lot of time out in the wood shop making things. Anyway, sorry, don't yell into the mic. Let's start with Matthew 9. Next slide. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. The tax collector's booth. 
the I have betrayed my people to work for the oppressive overlords booth. I'm so greedy, I've betrayed my own people, that booth, the tax collector's booth. And Jesus walks up to Matthew and says, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, See, we see the word Pharisee and we think hypocrite. But when this was written, they would see the word Pharisee and think, really godly, holy Christian who loves God and is really worthy of our respect. When the really godly people saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea chapter 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'm not, I'm not all about your religious prayers and your offerings and all this official public stuff. I'm not about your giving me the sacrifices I demand. I, I keep, those were God's idea, right? God's like, that's not really what I'm after. I want you to walk in mercy. He says this, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Go and learn the meaning of this. I like that. Sometimes life has to take us on a journey, and we have to go through some hard stuff before we can learn that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. A lot of us don't learn the Father's heart until we go through some really hard stuff that pounds us into dependence and we have our own brokenness, our own sin, our own hardness, our own lack of love exposed. And then we realize He loved us through it, the whole thing. That on days when we thought we were pleasing the Lord, we really weren't. And yet His presence came as though we were. And that He's really been so merciful in the way he's related to us, but we've thought of ourselves as the good guy and somebody else as the bad guy, but really, it's been mercy that saved us all along and it's his heart for them too. There's some stuff some of us have to go and learn to get access to the Father's heart. All right, let's go into the reverse Q&A stuff. I said last time we're going to do more questions this time. So next slide. Why does it sometimes seem morally wrong to forgive. I understand a lot of us are like, well, it's it's the Christian thing to do to forgive. But there's times when something has happened where you actually feel like it is wrong, morally wrong to forgive. You ever been there? You want justice. Why does it sometimes seem wrong? Say it again. Explain what you mean by you want them to learn. You want them to 
Yeah. So you're saying sometimes it feels like if you forgive them, you're not, yeah, you're letting them off the hook, says Eric. And you want them to learn, says Jacob. What else? Carolyn. You want them to really understand what they've done. Explain. You're saying the word empathy. Why? What does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. So when you, when we forgive people and they're not understanding the the real hurt they've caused and they don't show any empathy, it feels somehow wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But I'm asking, even though we know that, why does it sometimes feel like, man, it's just, they're getting off scot-free. Because it also says in the Bible, it's off my conscience. Right. It's on them. Right. So you're saying in the situation, the hurt gets so big that the Jesus component of it fades into the background and the, yeah. the present situation gets so big in our heart and our emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Good. These are good. These are good thoughts, guys. I have one here and then you, Gloria. Mark first, then Gloria. One second, one second. Got to do it in the order the hand went up. I'll talk. Oh, yeah. Maybe this thought that if I forgive this person, I'm like, they'll think I'm speaking like an omen from God that they're forgiven. Okay. Right. It's done in heaven, it's done on earth. And what would be wrong with, with, with them hearing you forgive them in God's name? What, what, what's upsetting about that? I guess uh, they would think they had skated free or they didn't suffer. Right. Purpose. Without any change of life. Yeah. Just, okay. Excellent, excellent. Gloria. I just want to say that sometimes we need time. Yeah. It's need time. Like it's a process. Like it's there. And then through the time or through... So it takes time for our emotions to reconcile with the thing. These are, these are excellent thoughts. I'm going to take one more and then move on because I have so many more questions. Yes. I think like sometimes it's, it seems morally wrong to forgive the person because we confuse forgiving the person and justifying what, you know, accepting what they've done or, yeah. you know, we, we get confused in that area. Like, we feel like if I forgive right. you, I'm saying it was okay. Yeah, okay. So, so it can be, it feels like it can get close to minimizing whether what they did was really a big deal. Yeah. Like, making it seem small. Yeah. Um, my little thoughts here were, the, some, like sometimes we question, are they just going to get away with it? Are they just going to get away with it? Is that how this is going to go? They're just going to get away with it? Who else are they going to hurt? Is this just going to keep happening? Is there no justice in the world? Is everything meaningless? Is my integrity meaningless? Is there just chaos? This kind of thing feels that way. 
But the New Testament actually calls us to forgive with judgment day in mind. Nobody gets away with anything, guys. For now they might. For now we might. But every single one of us will have the secrets of our hearts laid bare before the Lord. Every word of our mouth, every action of our life will come before the judgment seat of Christ and he will render a verdict. Every secret will be exposed and every hidden thing will be made known. The realities will come out on judgment day. And Jesus isn't saying, just forgive, it's no big deal. He's saying this. Here, next slide, Romans 12. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's wrath. In other words, if I punish you, I'm getting in the way. I'm actually getting in the way of your repentance because you're going to feel right when I misbehave in response. If you hit me and I hit you back, you're not going to feel sorry you hit me originally. If I insult you and you insult me back, I'm less likely to feel bad about my original insult because you had one locked and loaded. But leaving room for God's wrath... Let me keep reading it. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You will shame someone to treat them right while they're treating you wrong the sweeter and kinder and more gracious and more loving you are, maybe the angrier they'll get because the more exposed their sin will be. When Stephen's on his knees and he's praying, forgive them, don't hold this sin against them, that made them even madder because it exposes the demonic thing that's, that's in their chest that's carrying them along. Jesus exposed the true nature of evil by letting it take, it take him and do his worst to him when he could have easily snapped his fingers and said, vaporize them all. But he revealed and exposed them. And then verse 21 of Romans 12 says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't become a monster to defeat a monster. Don't let sin against you create sin inside you. I find this extremely helpful. I'm not a big fan of the sort of maternal mom God who's just a, she's a sweet God. She has nothing but hugs and nurture and endless patience. And she wouldn't harm a fly. And she just is there for everyone. No, no, no. God is an all-consuming fire. And he is holy. And he, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. And on the basis of a big Western tombstone you tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me kind of a God, I now have some strength that I can go, okay, God's got this. I can manifest the opportunity of mercy here. If you're like, ah, that's a violent God of, God of Westerns. What? That's my favorite Western ever is Tombstone. Okay. Kurt Russell. You know, Anyway. So God's not asking us to let people get away with stuff when he's asking us to forgive. You know what he's asking us to do? He's asking us not to carry it. Please don't carry this burden. It's killing you. It's, it's twisting you. It's, it's, make, it's forming you. It's shaping you. You have an IV drip of poison into your veins as long as you hold on to this thing. And it is, ta- it is, ter- it is changing who you are. It is blinding you. You're becoming something other than love. Only Jesus 
is strong enough to handle this assignment of justice. This is why human anger doesn't bring about the life God requires. But God does have anger. He's just slow to anger, very slow to anger. And he only gets angry when not getting angry would be unloving. Whereas I get angry because you ticked me off for some petty, selfish, insecure, dumb reason, typically. How dare you cut me off in traffic? We talked about this last week and the kid who got chased with the guy with the handgun pointing it at him and yelling threats at him. I probably screwed up the, story, that, the details of that story last week because I only heard him tell it one time. Uh, but I can, if you talk to me later, connect you to the young man that happened to. Okay. If we understood the fearful judgment of God that's on the way, we would end up like Stephen, praying for their sake, God, please don't hold this sin against them. Sometimes when people are sinning, we catch a glimpse of the outcome in eternity, and we actually are scared for them. That's health. That's health. Jesus had a lot of tears. Not many of them were for him. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, but his tears weren't for himself. The time we see him weeping, he's weeping over Jerusalem that isn't responding to the invitation at the moment when God is saying, please come home, please come home. Okay, next slide. How would you help someone forgive? I told you it's not helpful to take a hurting person and tell them, you better forgive or God's not going to forgive you. (laughs) Instead of tell them to forgive, how about we help them forgive? How? How do we help someone forgive? Showing them kindness. Probably don't start by telling them their feelings don't matter or they're crazy and what they say happened didn't really happen. That wouldn't help at all. Yeah, so how do we show people mercy and grace? Validate their feelings first. I don't think you can change someone's mind if you start by invalidating how they feel. Can, can you? you have to take the hate out of your heart. That's true, too. That's true, too. So validating and showing mercy and being kind. I'm hearing a theme of there's got to be a mercy. You've got to feel a mercy. They need to feel a mercy coming from us. Should I move on to the next question? Just tell them you're wrong and crazy. (laughs) Just tell them, stop it. Just stop. (laughs) Just, well, just stop. Whenever I'm not being awesome, I just change my mind and then I'm awesome. Just quit it. How does unforgiveness behave? Like, how do you spot unforgiveness on your buddy or your friend or your parents or your boss or maybe even yourself? How do you spot unforgiveness? Okay, but what are the attitude markers? Rolling of the eyes. Say that again. Mm, someone who doesn't want to talk to you. They just wish you wouldn't come around anymore. Their face. Hurt people. Okay, so they're, they're maybe catty. They're, hurt, they're hurtful. They're rude. 
Mm. Who said that? What was the, what was the comment? Mm, they can't let it go. It just keeps coming up over and over. They might not actually murder the person in real life, but they murder their reputation in their conversations with you. Little things. Y'all know this is real talk, right? Like, we all experience this in our social circles constantly, don't we? Little things become big things. How dare you? How dare you? And you're like, whoa, what? How about this one? We charitably, we view our own actions as being understandable because I was tired, I was hungry, I was under a lot of stress. But their actions are viewed as though they were well-slept, well-fed, they were on their mood-regulating pills, everyone was kind to them that day, and they just randomly exploded. So last week I gave you the Dorothy Chupp quote, which is, Jacob Borders' grandma, correct? Yes. Same same genetics, different last name. Chup, by the way, comes from the word for wood chips. So somebody who was covered in wood chips is a carpenter. So your, your name is what they called carpenters. We should just change your name to Chippy. I don't know. But Dorothy Chubb gave us this quote, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting your enemy to die or expecting the other person to die. That's really helpful, isn't it? Because again, we're like, I'm not going to forgive them. What they did was wrong and they aren't even sorry and they haven't even changed. And it's like, they're just going to get off the hook and they keep doing this and it's a pattern and it's wrong. There has to be some payment. There has to be change. This is wrong. I won't forgive until they pay back what's done until they fix it. I won't forgive and Dorothy says, you, you know, you're not. It feels like you're fighting. You think you're fighting for justice. You think you're fighting for what's right. But what you're doing is drinking poison. You're, you, you can't control other people. And the more you try to control the world, the more resentful, stressed, angry. Forgiveness is actually a part of grief. Some of us feel like When we stop being angry, we're wronging the other person who we're grieving. Like, say someone hurts someone you love, and they die as a result. If I stop being angry at this person, am I sinning against my loved one who I lost by letting it go? Don't I honor them by grieving and stewing and never forgetting and never even moving on, really? So forgiveness is a part of a a bigger conversation about grieving and how important it is to actually grieve. Because whether you want to grieve or not, you have grief stuck down in your soul. Let me give you my approach to helping walk people through forgiveness. Next slide. When I try to help people forgive, point number one, allow God into our hurt let God meet us at our pain. I do not start by telling them, you need to forgive or God won't forgive you. That's not helpful. It may be true, but it's not helpful. Not everything that's true is helpful. Does this dress make me look fat? Yes. Is that the right answer? You're an idiot. Don't, don't go there. 
Well, okay, you could say no, your body does, but the dress isn't helping. Um, I'm just saying not everything true needs to be said at all times. You know, that's all I'm saying. The first step to helping people forgive is to help them heal. And how are we going to listen to God giving us the, this, this is his counsel. This is his wisdom. His wisdom is, please let this go. You're my kid. Let this go. Please let this go. How are you going to listen to him if you don't trust him? So my first goal is to help them invite God into the hurt so that they know God's heart, so that when God invites them to to, to release the hurt, they trust God. Because we don't relate, we're not relating to rules here, we're relating to a good father. We're relating to a good father. So point number one, allow God into our hurt. Let him meet us at our pain points. The question I usually have them ask, I have them ask God is, God, where were you when this happened? How could you let this happen is another one. Where were you when this happened? And he usually shows them where he was. And then I say, God, what was in your heart for me when this happened? And he usually lets them sense it or feel it or hear what was in his heart. What did you want to say to me while this was going on? And he usually puts words in their mind. Now they're hearing God on the point of their wound. And he's good and he's love and he's perfect and he's real and he's involved and he's present. Changes things, guys. Second thing I try to do is Invite them to hand over our right to punish or judge the person. Hand that right over to Jesus, who alone is the judge. And that takes sacrifice. Handing over our right to to punish them, to judge them, is no small matter. Handing that over, sometimes you'll sit there and... and I've had to shut sessions down. With people who won't forgive themselves. And the, se- the session couldn't go forward because they weren't ready to forgive themselves. Yeah. So this stuff is re- it's surgery. It's open heart surgery. We also hand over, number three, our, our right to withhold love from them anymore. And you go, whoa, I don't, I don't know about all that. Hand over our right to withhold love. And then number four, we actively seek their well-being. And the way I try to do that with people is once they've handed the hurt over, once they've allowed God into the hurt, handed over their right to punish and handed over their right to withhold love, I have them pray a blessing on the person. But you know what we do before we even hand over our right to punish? We name the thing, what it really is. We condemn the thing that happened. We condemn what was wrong in the most emotionally honest and brutal, explicit terms we can. We don't start with, it was no big deal. You had your own problems. That's minimizing. Minimizing is not forgiving. There's more to say on that. Next question. What if there not sorry. What if they're not sorry? 
Sherry says, our forgiveness isn't about them. It's about us getting free. It's about me getting free of them. If I don't forgive them, guess who's discipling me instead of Jesus? They are. Their, their sin is, is discipling me. Their sin is shaping and forming me. Their sin against me is the sun around which my life is orbiting. Even if I'm saying I'll never become like them. Oh, really? Now you're going to live to become whatever they're not. You're living with reference to them. Forgiveness isn't about them or what they do or don't do or if they ever change. What about maintaining boundaries? Next, we're, we're a couple slides on. Yeah, there you go. What about maintaining boundaries? Do you have to stay best friends? Do you have a, a vision of your life like the temple in the Old Testament where on the Holy of Holies is only Jesus, not even your spouse or your friends? Full access to every bit of you. He names you. He, t- he directs you. He guides you. Then outside the holy place, not the most holy place, the holy place, spouse, very best friends. And then outside that, oh, look, here's, here's the temple courts and here's co-workers and cousins and uncles and aunts and whoever. And then you have those in the city, but they're outside the temple gate. And then you have those outside the city who won't even be let into the city because they're not trustworthy. It doesn't mean they don't matter. It doesn't mean they're not made in God's image. But it means they don't have the first right to tell you one thing about who you are. There's layers of access to tell you who you are that you grant to different people in seasons of your life. And someone who has demonstrated that they are not even remotely trustworthy does not belong in an inner circle of trust in your relationships. Forgiving them is not about you putting them back in the deepest part of the circle. That's a totally different issue. It's about you getting free of the resentment and the need and the desire to punish them. Yeah, you have to get rid of that. It may be unwise for you to bring somebody right back into the circle of trust they once were in. Next, next slide, yeah. We'll finish with this because it's, it's noon. How are forgiveness and reconciliation different? Yeah, I heard a kid. A kid's answering the question. Carrie, thoughts? I know you know the answer. Carl. That's a very, very interesting response. So Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. The Father's heart for the entire planet is forgiveness. But not everyone is reconciled to God. So on God's side of that equation, His door's open. But that doesn't mean their home. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two. Forgiveness is free. Trust is built. It's also dismantled. Forgiveness doesn't fix the relationship. 
It opens the... I totally agree. I get so frustrated at my own sneezes. You get angry at your own sneezes. You're like, darn it, body. What is wrong with... It's just pollen. Forgiveness doesn't fix the relationship. What it does is it opens the door of your heart for future relationship when they're ready. Okay, that's enough for today. That is enough for today. Prayer team can come on up. Next week we'll do this again. It is so helpful to forgive regularly. Whatever you discover you're carrying against people. If you keep thinking about it persistently, whatever it is, you just keep processing it and it still bothers you and you're like, that's 15 years old. How is that? Why am I still like, I believed this and I did this and they they didn't listen to me. They didn't agree with me and they screwed it up and we all suffered for it and I'm still upset about it. And you're like, it's 15 years ago. Why am I still thinking about this? Because you're still carrying it. But I already forgave him. Well, forgive him again. Remember the question that I, that I asked God last week? God, is there anyone I need to forgive? And then Jesus said, well, what burden are you carrying? That is such helpful. That's a helpful approach. You're walking through your day. You're just working your job. You're having your day. And you realize you're still carrying stuff. Right then and there, do this little simple process. Invite Jesus into the hurt. Name the wrong that was done, and we'll talk more about that next week. Validate your own feelings. Don't judge your soul. Don't command your soul around like it's your slave. Treat your soul with love like it's a different person who has feelings you wish it didn't have, who's carrying things you wish it wasn't carrying. But now it's your job to help your soul set it down and give it to God. It's so inconvenient having a soul, isn't it? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much. We thank you for the blood applied. We thank you that you've washed us white. We thank you that the cross is more than enough. More than enough, not just for our forgiveness, but for our healing, for us to walk into release as though we've never sinned, as though we've never been sinned against. I continue to ask God that you would take us on to a greater level of hope, a greater level of happiness in you. Teach us how to do relationships well. Teach us how to take really good care of each other's hearts. And we ask that you would give us wisdom to not take up offenses and let them break our relationships down. We ask for reconciliation for those we've forgiven. And we ask God for you to confront the stuff we haven't. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on up if you need prayer. Do you guys have anything extra to add about the words of knowledge today? No, no, and no. All right, y'all are dismissed. Do your thing.